namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa idang dhammang sangkang namasami One thing we can note about uh, meditation and kind of encouragements of the Buddha in general is this sense of uh, collecting oneself and being fully conscious, mm, clear, fully conscious with it, and developing that towards uh, even towards senses of uh, states of concentration, unification, where the energies of the thinking mind, the energies of the affective heart, the energies of the body start to blend and the discursive thought dies away and we feel a sense of warmth and fullness and groundedness. Um, so this is a kind of basis for realization. And it, for a start it does help us to realize that you do have these uh, different aspects you might say of the way the mind operates operates in terms of abstract thinking thinking about things operates in terms of feeling being affected by and responding to things and it that gives rise to feelings and impressions senses of feeling happy or trusted or positive or negative that's a very important aspect of mind and maybe the aspect of mind that's often lost altogether is that aspect of mind which is just about noticing we're present feeling fully present which isn't about uh, you know um, deciding what to do or even how we are but just almost where we are you know and, and uh, this is, so this is what you develop in meditation particularly sense of groundedness or being here now kind of phrases like that not because it's the only thing going by any means but it's the bit that tends to get lost 
because so often with sensory input, thoughts, ideas, um, we lose where we are. We just go into how we're feeling and what we're going to do about it. What are we going to do about it? You know, what, what's affecting us, and then the, how we, what kind of abstract thoughts, ways of handling it, we're going to come up with in order to deal with this. So these two aspects get highly energized, and the sense of just being here becomes kind of like slightly irrelevant the average person. You know, this isn't a decision, it's just the fact that you go and gets overloaded. So this last bit you just kind of gets dropped off the off the list, you might say. You know, so you notice quite a lot of the time one is actually just almost like in a dream, you know, where you, you get a dream images come up and you're just going into that, going to this this endless uh array, you know, images appear in the mind and we just go into it. Images appear in the mind, we go into it. Images appear in the mind, we go into it. And as we go into it, it generates more images. We go into it, we go into it, we go into it, we go into it. And if you notice, it's like uh, endless. Every now and then you kind of come to a place where you, hey, what's going on? And there's a little moment of a kind of a mini awakening where you you kind of lift off from that process and go, wow, where am I, you know? So that's interesting, that, that there's also something in us that does comprehend this experience and do, is able to lift out of it. And it isn't, a, it isn't a thought or a decision, it's almost a recognition of the loss of presence. Hey, where am I? You know, what's going on? Yeah, so... And there's something about these three aspects of mind, the presence, the affective feeling, and the abstract thinking, that is, is trustworthy. Yeah. In that there's always somewhere on the line a basic instinct to find out where we are. Often it gets put aside, but one of the waking up instincts is when we really lose that something that starts to hey where am I what's going on you know yeah. and so uh, you know particularly at certain situations like you get vertigo then you don't start thinking you get vertigo you know you don't you just go into where am I and it becomes a very immediate um, um, urgent business Sometimes you stand up quickly, all your thoughts just go draining out, and you just find yourself, your mind just goes into trying to establish balance. And that's its function, basic function. So something this is always attuned to that loss of balance. Uh, And uh, when we develop meditation, it's going into that sense of, of groundedness and balance as something that uh, does get lost and it's very helpful to tune into because when you get that, you begin to recognize what are the things that pull you out. Yeah. Sometimes it's just accidental like uh, blackouts or lo low blood pressure or high blush pressure or shocks. But a lot of the times it's this... Uh, powerful surge of uh, energy towards feeling and thinking you know so 
most people recognize when they meditate the real problem is obsessive thinking so you get the feeling you don't want to think at all but that isn't really right because thinking is one of the things we do it's an important part of life but how to uh, bring it into line so it's not dragging us out of balance this is why the um, you know the practices that lead to samadhi are ones that unify or, or connect your thinking to your feeling to your presence. Mm-hmm. Give you a sense that you're really with something. The energies line up together. Then you you can you can feel yeah that's really that's really right. There's also this sense, the heart sense or the emotional sense is something that's always seeking to find the most harmonious, the most well-being in any given situation. There's that ongoing instinct. You know, if you notice what human beings are always trying to do is work it out. They're always trying to work things out. You know, sometimes you can't sleep at night because you've got to work it out. You work endless hours of the day trying to work it out. And you get to the end of your life, have you worked it out? <laughs> what was it all about? Where, where was it? You know, it's a kind of ongoing instinct that transfers onto all kinds of things, you know. other people, your family, problems, concerns, work that out. Job, problems, concerns, work it out. Politics, global warming, work it out. So that's what happens. It's just going. That that instinct is is a natural instinct. It just keeps going all the time. And it, but it does tend to accumulate just about anything to work to be worked out. Work out, you know, what we're going to do about the badgers digging up the lawn. So you go out and try and work it out. So this, there's this instinct. I mean, the way we can say, you know. You don't have to try to work it out because that's that's happening for you already. Maybe what we need to do is say, you know, trust that that we have that, which is looking for harmony and well-being, and just to give it some support by being present, rather than, you know, so we kind of ground ourselves in in the presence, so that it's just to encourage that natural heart to to not just take in everything willy-nilly and work it out. So, yeah, yeah, working it out is fine, but just you need some support in that. Because it is a, a kind of a, it's a big world. So I spend quite a lot of time 
these days working th- were just responding to uh, various kind of emails and um, things coming down the tubes, internet tubes, trying to people trying to work things out. So I had to work out a response to people <laughs> want to working things out, and uh, and then I work out a response, and somebody tries to work out what I really mean by that. And uh, how are we going to work that out? <laughs> and so then you get on a list of being one of the people to work things out. So you get more stuff to work out. You, you know, so you spend about four hours, four and a half hours today just working things out. Which you know, work, the thing I really to work out was how to switch the machine off. <laughs> you know, so, so that that's. That's enough for the day, you know. Really, that's enough. Needs some boundaries. Means we have to, in fact, start to bring that that quality of heart into consciousness, into being conscious of the fact that there's going to be all kinds of stuff that doesn't get worked out. How how are you with that? How are you living in a world of loose ends, of unresolved, of incomplete, of irritating things, of things breaking down? How are you with that? You know? you know, what's the bit that you can really work out? You know, a simplistic answer would be to say, well, just sit there and watch your breath, which it takes some doing, actually. And that's true. Yeah, that's true. But... You know, most of our lives, we, we're not doing that. And uh, even the Buddha didn't do that. He spent time working things out. Called the Vinaya. Teachings, responding, you know, working things out. Right from his enlightenment all the way onwards to his last breath. Some kind of relationship to what was going on, the people around him, the longevity of his teachings, uh, the best ways to bring things across, um, foundations for what would happen after he died. So it wasn't just all being here now. So it's really necessary to just uh, start to distill, you know, the real meani- meanings of things. This is where, again, we meditate. We, meditation, you start to, uh, when you get a bit of presence, it helps for a start, just having the sense of presence and balance by itself starts to filter out just a lot of the unnecessary spinning of the mind. You know, the real, when you come down to real, you know, strong way where things really feel important for you. It doesn't matter whether they're important for anybody else right now, just what feels important for you. What's the meaning of things, you know? So you can find quite a lot of, 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 you know, random concerns can be felt under the meaning of this is I want to feel safe. I want to feel uh, well. I want to help other people. I want to um, feel I'm doing something good in my life, you know? Basic things. And then so often it simplifies down to a, to a handful. And that process of... of of what's called uh, in-depth attention 
you only saw Manasikara, then just starting to to really look into all this. And looking at it as it actually is, you know, right now. It's quite a process because when you really look into to what's happening, it is just certain senses and values are coming up and the world isn't the same as the world that one holds in one's head. So generally with our, with our brains or our heads we have an, an abstract idea of uh, dates and times and people and things. You know? And these are abstract. What, what's held there is abstract. It doesn't mean it's incorrect but it's an abstraction. It's not directly experienced. It's an interpretation. So we might say something like, you know, um, okay, because I'm here, I think the monastery. Now, a certain sense, monastery makes sense. And I actually start to feel what monastery means any particular time. It can mean place I cherish. It can mean um, something I feel is of value to others. It can mean... Um, uh, work, it can mean home, it can mean um, sanctuary, it could mean a number of things. It can mean some rather unpleasant things like pain, burden, you know, it can mean things like that. What it never means, really, is monastery. The monastery is never a monastery. It's always, as a felt experience, a series of these impressions. So I actually want to really deal deal with it, work it out. I have to go to those impressions. Some of them, uh, or they all have certain validity to them. Uh, but with all of them, I acknowledge, you know, what one doesn't acknowledge with the abstract is they're all subjectively felt. They're all impressions happening in my effective mind, all impressions of concern, happiness, uh, interest, irritation, and all those. And that's what I'm really dealing with. When I get it to there, I'm actually starting to be able to live and operate in the place, the the real monastery, the real world. And you see that actually one of the um, things the abstract mind does is it, it creates unities like monastery, like country, England, Britain, Europe. You know. So easy to conjure up. And of course this is the, uh, these things actually, where is that? The whole range of experiences and flavors and sights and sounds and cultures and things that make up any of these. And probably 
different people have very different impressions of what that is. When we, that, in us, which creates these unities out of what are in fact changeable diversities, is, the, is politics, is the language, is the operation of politics. Politics is not bad, though it often is bad, but it's, it's a natural function. I used to think politics was something that happened just to, you know, certain people in government did politics and it was all a bit corrupt and it was to do with countries and wars and foreign policy and so forth. And for that, suddenly little me became part of something, some big thing called Britain, you know, wherever that was. And I was somehow, you know, part of, the, part of an entity that supported such and such and waged war on such and such and this, that and the other. And things I had no direct connection to. So the sense of the, the unity is assumed rather than actually, what, what do all these people really feel? And you find if you did that, you get much less of a, of a, a clear unity at first. You probably get a whole range of things. But they probably come up with, if you really were able to explore it, and probably come up to things like, I want to be happy, I want to be safe, I want to do something good in my life, um, Things like that. Pretty much the same as everybody else. But the process of, uh, of jumping over that to things like um, you know, foreign policy or economic affairs, where we suddenly get, get kind of you know, told we're a unity, told we believe something or other, rather than finding it out, is the misuse of politics. It's very much the same, you know, in in uh, any corporation, Sangha included. You suddenly find the Sangha wants this. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, the Sangha has decided this. Uh huh. And you recognise actually there's a whole shade of of thoughts and non-thoughts and don't really know and don't really care and don't understand and yeah I really want and I'm sort of halfway there and 60% and 20% and maybe and I'll go along with it going on it's not a, you know yeah, we can kind of come, come to these kind of Sangha uh, decisions or sometimes very without really even knowing you know or some people decide it's just the way it goes and you know it's a process to keep aware of that the we sense doesn't kind of jump out automatically before there's some sense of actually checking in with what's really uh, happening. Hmm? And it comes down to, I used to think politics was whenever two, two or three people got together was politics. Because when you get three people to get together, there's some decision of this is, this is our group. And it became when it's two people get together, we've got something called a relationship. We've got to look after, of course, we're in a relationship, so we should, you know, the two of us ought to do this, or ought to be that. Uh -huh. And then more recently, I've recognized actually politics is when one person, 
You know, when I actually th- think of myself as one person, that's already a political statement. <laughs> because actually, I've all kinds of inclinations and dispositions running ahead, running around. Um, you know, and they say, "Hey, what about me?" <laughs> you know, before you get into being, you know, Bhikkhu Suchito, uh, have you asked me? Check things out. I think it's an important question to, because this thing you can really examine in yourself. How much are you assuming you are something definite that continues? And isn't that already quite a a situation that's always one of insecurity? Being something, what will I be? How will I be? What will I become? What will other people think of me? And in that, the the mind energy going out very much goes into the the emotive effect of these concerns. What will I be? Might be difficult. Might be painful. Might be dumped. Might be might have a good opportunity if I did this, that and the other. Uh-huh. So we go into that. The dream starts. What will I be? What could I be? Yeah. Or we think of what I was, what I used to be. Oh. The dream starts. And it's a very poignant uh, dream, very poignant <coughs> set of images and waverings and inclinations and urges and and concerns, you know. <coughs> but that's all it is. <coughs> so one of the questions that we ask is you is you just start to come through this political process just who who are you talking about no not the name just right now who who are you talking about who are you referring to which one of these energies, forms, concerns you start to say this is the you know it comes down to pretty basic things doesn't it safety, happiness freedom, ability to do things useful I imagine those of us want to bring something forth in their life. Isn't it interesting how it really comes down to very fundamental things that we don't have to make. I think all of us would like to feel good and do good. You don't decide that. It's almost there. All of us like also to be clear, to get it together. You know? However small we've decided our concerns are, just like to get clarity around that. We want to use <coughs> our heads, our thinking. So wise attention is a way of doing that, a very useful way of doing it, because it begins to clear, clear the field. 
what the real concerns are. And then how those concerns for one's well-being, for one's uh, sense of comfort, or one's wish to do good, how those will be, how you can keep living in that stream, how you can keep with that. How you can keep that going. Because it's uh, when we go into the abstract, the problem is that the that there's a huge amount of of possibilities, and in that overwhelm of that, we lose touch with how we can really know results, immediate results. How we can know where does our well-being come from? What does it feel like? What does it feel like? So when we meditate again, what does it feel like to feel a sense of well-being, a sense of aspiration, a sense of compassion and concern? You know, just to tune into those, those energies in us, those kind of qualities in our in our hearts and minds. And then you see that more as anything you touch from that place, whether it's just kind of not treading on an insect. Uh, you, you, you know, you, you, every everything you, you touch or come into contact with or operate with in that place is giving you some sense of fulfilling, you know, one sense of, of fulfilling your life. And again, we begin to recognize that that is all you can actually achieve is that, is to realize and be with that potential. Um, you can't it's not going to be the case that everything we come into contact with works out. But what can be achieved is that we always bring that potential into, into, into play with our actions, our thoughts, the world around us. So even the Buddha, you know, was unable, you know, he could extend his power and his energies and his wisdom and his compassion he was unable to prevent wars, crime, destitution, you know, his, his own village, his own hometown and kindred being slaughtered, you know. So that again, you know. Doesn't mean you don't try, it doesn't mean you can't bring forth, but also with that you there's a sense of the sober s- sober clarity of it you know when we have that the, the real clarity of mind then we it doesn't clutter it doesn't obstruct the heart it, we don't lose balance because we have a sense of the 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 clarity of the mind, the clarity of the thinking mind, the clarity of the organizing mind is to organize our own, gathering our own potential together, gathering our resources together, keeping our resources fine-tuned. And then by, by quite naturally that will always affect everything we do. And you start to see the bits that you can manage. 
the bits you, you come into contact with, the bits that really speak to you. Mm-hmm. And what I've felt in myself over time is that um, sometimes the, the results on one level are small or don't seem to be getting anywhere. But by keeping that potential in mind, by bearing it, by fulfilling that, you know, generating that potential, feeling that potential, one is able to live with a sense of, this is good. This is, I'm not losing interest. I'm not losing touch. I'm not, I'm not closing down. I'm not getting resigned and fed up. Um, well, maybe this itself is a kind of an, an achievement. Yeah. Just to get to the end of the day, having not stepped back. So this, in a way, is uh, you know how the experience of samadhi of of recognizing the unity of the sense of presence, the unity of the effective mind, unity, and bringing the clarity of thought, clarity of discernment to bear, just that that model helps us when we're actually moving around in the world. It's not that we're moving around in samadhi, we're moving around with the wisdom that samadhi generates to recognize, you know, that you're not just the thoughts, you're not just the feelings, there's a presence, that acts as the foundation. When that is the foundation, then the heart feels it's got a ground to stand upon. We've got a refuge. We can we can feel comfortable in ourselves. When we do that, then the sense of natural uh, warm-heartedness opens up. When that's there, we begin to clarify the kind of concerns and, and ways we think about each other, think about people, fear, aversion, drop away. And, uh, you know, you, your thinking mind starts to get clearer, you know, less affected by uh, bias. So then that, that is the, that's how, you, that's how you bring samadhi into life. You know, that's how you bring it into, into action. Not necessarily by staying you know, absorbed in, in the breathing, but by bearing in mind what it's taught you and, and living in that connected way. So I offer this for your reflection tonight. <clears throat>